Good morning, one and all present here. A warm welcome to all the panelists and my dear friends. Thank you for taking time out to attend the bespoke show. I'm Charlie Rauth from third year BBA. Now it's my pleasure to welcome today's host, Ms. Asha Sampath and Mr. Sid Balega. Ms. Asha Sampath is the founder director of Brand Horizon, a brand management and consulting firm based in Bangalore. She is the former managing director of Endeka Ceramics Limited. Ms. Asha is an independent director in the board of Toyota Financial Services India Limited. She is also a part of the advisory council for EFI. Mr. Sid Balega is an educationist by profession and an author by passion. He has published articles in the Times of India, the Assam Tribune, and the periodicals of the ICFAI University Press. Deccan Herald quoted Mr. Sid for his expertise in international SOP and resume development. He advocates fundamental rights and has crowdfunded a campaign titled Bihar Ki Beti, twice on Malab, first in 2017 for a five-year-old child from Begusarai, Bihar, and second in 2019 for a victim of human trafficking from Bihar. His book, It's Official Stupid, which is available on Amazon and Flipkart, revolves around gullibility of women in the workplace. Today's discussion is on innovate, cross-skill, upskill in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, wherein we hear three perspectives from three business leaders who bring in a unique flavor of expertise. We have with us Mr. Meghdud Bose. Mr. Bose is the business head for the world-famous Dale Carnegie Training Operations in India, which has global experience of having worked with over 400 of the top Fortune 500 companies. Sir, please take a seat on the dais. I request our principal, Dr. Brigadier Sandes, to welcome Mr. Bose. The second speaker is Mr. Ramesh Kumar. Mr. Kumar is the Chief Technology Officer at Ediquity. He is an alumnus of NIT Jamshedpur. He has worked for BHEL and has delivered a talk at TEDx. Sir, please take a seat on the dais. I request our HOD, Professor Nikita, to welcome Mr. Kumar. The third speaker is Mr. Sudhanshu Panigrahi. Mr. Panigrahi is the Vice President and Bangalore Center Head of UST Global. He is an alumnus of Northern Illinois University, USA. Please take a seat on the dais, sir. I request Professor Chrissy Matthew to please welcome Mr. Panigrahi. request the host to lead the show and give the audience a bird's eye view of top level leadership and how this is affecting the business in the modern digital world. Recently some foreigner came and said Indians they don't have innovation. Everybody flared up saying that why not we are so innovative we do this we do that so many things but actually I keep questioning what is that we are doing. We are actually leveraging somebody's technology. The latest is being blockchain. The blockchain has been introduced by West and we are actually copying it and then you are trying to build applications on that. How many of you people are ready for future? I will uh, definitely share uh, in most of your questions my personal story. 
I think that's what uh, will be more relevant for many of them. I did my MCA in 1991. During that time, I'm the third batch from the college. Even the teachers, they uh, did not know many of the topics that we were learning. They could not teach us. Uh, uh, we were learning artificial intelligence or database. They were from electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. Think about them, how they were teaching computer science to us. They taught us how to learn. Uh, I always believe, and this is my take on it, so probably I'll move because the Indian education system has already been covered, so I'll just elevate that and move a little more in terms of the overall education system, how they have evolved. So during my time, uh, in terms of when I was in school, the focus was primarily on rote learning. Uh, you cram and the focus was primarily in terms of the language and the focus in terms of the outcome of what was uh, uh, brought in, how can it be then reproduced. Um, where, and that's primarily if you understand how the human brain works. Uh, this particular part wherein you have to remember things is primarily the neocortex which is the outside part of your brain, which primarily focuses on logical and analysis, dis analysis and language. Whereas uh, the decision-making part is the limbic membrane, which is more focused on the feeling side of it, how you think, how you feel. Um, and as a result of which we were never uh, educated in the schools or even in our colleges to watch out for signals, watch out for feelings, watch out for emotion of the other individual. And that is why uh, when, we, when we have a presence of a certain individual in the room, we say that this particular, I don't like the vibe that this person is giving me. But we can't put a finger to it just because we are not being educated to feel, get that feeling to us. So today we are moving away from that and a uh, lot of the MBA schools and the whole education is moving away. So if you see in the 1990s, uh, MNCs moved into a lot of developing economies and hence the MBA schools focused on building a lot of loyalty. Uh, how can you look at recognition through internal growth? Then when the 2000 happened, uh, 2000 was primarily focused um, in terms of the dot-com bubble, it was more focused in terms of how do you grow uh, exponentially and that's where the focus primarily shifted towards how can I uh, make, make it big by getting creative collaborative teams. And 2010, it's all about uh, disruption in the VUCA world. So the entire focus is now on transform, uh, transformative digital learning. So um, to, in my mind, uh, and this is what uh, General Casey who fought uh, for the American Armed Forces uh, in the Iraq, Iraq war, he says that it's all about understanding your environment in tot totally, which is not only the internal environment in terms of your internal politics, but also in terms of the external environment. Uh, once you have that, you have a totalitarian approach to this because... I think, Megdut, a good point about collaborative learning and working in teams uh, as we evolve in a VUCA world. But adding to it now, what is your take on the evolving MBA? Because if you see now, uh, we are looking at people who are more apt at life skills, managing people, inter, uh, you know, uh, how do we work with people from across the globe? So how does the MBA help vis-a-vis, -vis, let's say, leadership programs like what Dale Carnegie is offering? So is that uh, line blurring somewhere? 
said very uh, very powerful question uh, purely because and i just go back to the previous point that i just mentioned that um, an mba um, so for example if you look at uh, an insead uh, insead today has a course on digital transformation and innovation if you look at the kellogg school of business it has a course on machine programming uh, so on and so forth so um, we will never be able to train somebody for a particular situation because situations will evolve and keep changing have have you been able to make use of the education in that safe and at the same time simulated environment uh, making the best use of the knowledge in the session or in the class uh, so that you have a completely uh, totalitarian view of it i think that is important if you have not had and we can have this debate of about a one year mba two year mba the regular and the executive bit uh, but the fact remains that um, you need that grounding to be to be able to have that sense of understanding how and what to tackle because uh, trust me enter enter a competitive space and if you were to work with any mnc um if if you if the numbers are online and if the top line has not grown i don't think it, it, you will have an opportunity to learn from your mistakes that's a that's an absolute cliche in a corporate world so i believe that mbas are here to stay and uh, and it will definitely be and we will continue to evolve sudhanshu you were you are mentioning about uh, how what you studied uh, is actually not relevant today in uh, in your job but you are surviving but you are actually doing well <laughs> not just surviving uh, how what's the uh, just trying to understand what then is the relevance of mba today uh, in terms of domain expertise is which is something that we pick up along our jobs so uh, when we when we uh, talk to people from the west they normally prefer to do their mba courses as an executive mba program maybe 4 or 5 years after a work stint that's something that's still not so very common in india so do you think that an executive mba program uh, will probably be able to groom uh, people more into a culture of innovation rather than the ones that go immediately after an undergraduate course wonderful question um, you have the right example here i am one of the executive mba graduate in front of you and when i was doing it uh, i was about 34 year old and i was the youngest in the class and the average age was of the class was 38 and the point i'm trying to make what is mba mba is for business, business administration people learned uh, technical skills be it mechanical civil computer science which i did in engineering to do your job right but where you work you work in a business environment ultimately you are working in a business setup now if you have ambitions or there is a requirement to do something with the business you know that the example would be from a computer science program either differentiate between programming versus managing a business unit right you grow from there to do that some probably naturally pick it up but many probably require those skills how to manage a business and for that purpose i think it is very important for you to do an mba and get the right skills and do it and for my example 
it helped me wonderfully. I, after finishing my MBA, I worked for a few years. I moved here. The amount of growth I have seen in terms of business administration, tremendous. Just that line of MBA from certain university helped me a lot. But in India, what I'm seeing, the trend, a lot of folks do the MBA so early. The problem is you can learn the theories when you learn so early. But if you come after spending some time in the industry, so ultimately you'll be managing some business. If you know about the business while working there, then you, exp and you learn the aspects of managing the business. You can understand well, you can correlate well while learning the MBA aspect of it. Otherwise, it will still, you will be learning in a theoretical mode. And what will happen, you will get those aha moments probably after five years, eight years saying, oh my God, I learned that, now I'm applying it. So uh, I think uh, I'm, I shared my experience to your question. Yeah, sounds interesting. I guess it builds also a level of uh, maturity to be able to appreciate what's taught and uh, be able to understand how it can actually be applied in real life situations, right? Absolutely. So a uh, couple of decades back, uh, a downturn or a, a recession used to be more cyclical. Volatility used to be more cyclical in nature. And people used to know, okay, now it's a downturn and now we have to be very defensive and more defensive brings more downturn. That used to be the logic. So now, uh, in a VUCA world, downturns, volatility, complexity, sudden setbacks have become a norm. So how do organizations uh, still continue working without getting defensive? A typical example would be Sony Corporation in 2000, uh, which became very defensive and their profits uh, you know, really increased by 8%, but their revenues, overall revenues dipped by almost 15% because of various strategies that they adopted. But these strategies cannot be adopted in a very complex world where setbacks are going to be a norm rather than an exception. So uh, what we have seen recently is um, with, the, with, the cons with the borderless technological innovations and completely removing competition from the immediate and, and getting competition from uh, from globe and constant sanctions uh, that governments are constantly giving um, for from anything and everything uh, it's becoming extremely pertinent to be uh, be cognizant of this uh, word uh, VUCA which is volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous something that got uh, christened during um, in, it's an uh, it's an American college war term which after 9-11 became extremely prominent uh, so that's a very pertinent example that you shared um, in terms of Sony uh, because for me there are three kinds of strategies that organizations can adopt uh, when it comes to thriving under difficult economic times. Uh, one is being going on the defensive and that's what Sony did. Uh, it completely cut down in terms of uh, the workforce and also um, that's a very defensive strategy and that's uh, and that's where you saw the example what happens with Sony. The second example is something going completely on the offensive. Uh, that's something what uh, Hewlett Packard did back in the, uh, um, in the early 2000. Uh, so Carly Fiorina, who was then the, uh, the chief uh, executive officer for Hewlett Packard, made these some strange decisions. Uh, they acquired Compaq for $25 billion during a downturn. They made spends of about 9% increase as far as their um, R&D budget was concerned. There was about a $200 million increase as far as 
there's spends on corporate branding and uh, about $1 billion spend on ITs in developed economies. By that, in about four years time, once the downs, downturn ended, uh, their profits had nosedived. Uh, so the actual and the right way of doing this entire exercise is doing the pragmatic approach. Uh, now in the pragmatic approach, what happens is uh, we primarily cut down on our costs, but that cut down on costs happens through increase in efficiency. Uh, one example that comes to my mind is Staples, the, uh, the guys who, um, the pins. Uh, so when this economic downturn happened in the early 2000, what they did is uh, they went ahead and closed down all the facilities uh, which were not, high, uh, were not performing. At the same time, they increased the workforce so that the top line goes up and uh, also were able to enhance the overall productivity. Uh, Another example that comes to my mind is uh, Procter & Gamble. Uh, Procter & Gamble's uh, then CEO, uh, Bob Moritz, uh, sorry, Bob McDonald, uh, what he did during the downturn is um, he, he, he increased the prices of his top performing products. At the same time, just to get the market penetration going, he introduced uh, products of a fa far lower cost as a result of which he was able to attract the market because people were able to afford and the premium customer would also be attracted as a result of which his top shell which was his premium product would also be consumed. Back in uh, during the Great Depression uh, in the early 1930s, uh, Chevy, uh, the automaker, uh, people, uh, people were not looking to buy anything. Then they had the highest number of sales that by, uh, by, by having a positioning marketing statement for all the women uh, car drivers. Uh, those days it was only newspaper and radio spots. So they captured it through innovative positioning of their product. They did not focus on what their product was. They focused on how their product and why their product is useful for the market segment that they were targeting. So it completely depends ultimately in terms of the kind of marketing strategy I adopt to be able to sail through and at the same time when the downturn comes, when people come out of the downturn, we are better positioned. The pragmatic uh, strategy is better positioned to be able to uh, scale up faster. So that means the older generation organizations should be agile and transform uh, during these complex times, that is one. And uh, are we also referring to a generation gap, maybe this VUCA term is very uh, something to do with the older generation and uh, companies like Lenovo are already born in a VUCA generation and they don't see anything complex about it that is routine for them. Uh, is that also true? Before uh, responding to that, let me add on to what uh, Mr. Ghosh said that are we really in VUCA? That's my question. What is volatile? Some ups and downs. But you are continuously ups and downs, that is the normal. <laughs> to me, I think we learn to survive in this world. It is no more I call it VUCA world. Came from the era of uh, the, the collapse of Enron, the Arthur Anderson uh, scam, the subprime issue in 2007, then the Satyam scam over here. I think, and and also the the auto town Detroit became a ghost town. Completely went down the downturn, right? I think it taught lessons to all the organizations, individuals a lot. I want to give a very simple analogy how a business would react to is 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 literally how to drive in Indian roads, particularly Bangalore roads, during traffic. What happens when you drive? You have to be cautious which side a bike will come in front of you, which a car comes in front of you, or somebody can walking by. 
but you are cautious, right? You play a little defensively, fine. Then when you got a free road, you become aggressive. And then you make the best out of it, you make up your time. I think businesses, what I'm not suggesting, they're following the exactly same pattern. When there is a uncertainty, they become a little defensive. That's required, ultimately they're running a business. Now when there is, economy is booming, they become aggressive, they make it up what they lost it. So I think my response to the previous question is that, you know, stay defensive when there is uncertainty and then be aggressive when there is clear. But your other question around Lenovo picking up, I think uh, the strategies have been changing uh, by the business, right? So uh, I would not call that is uh, because in VUCA world Lenovo born and they pick it up. It's because IBM did not want to, uh, they did not see much innovation happening in the PC business. That's the reason they said, can somebody do? That is one. Second thing is IBM wanted to get into China. They were not there. And Lenovo is being China, they said it's a probably good sale so that they can sell their components to China market. Yeah, I think, I think uh, it's more an opportunity, right? Because I think technology is being used to um, create uh, a unique uh, consumer experience across right. spaces, across the value chain. Right. And the ones that don't take advantage of that are probably the ones to lose. Uh, what is it that they're doing different from uh, the traditional companies to be able to cope with the situation uh, more successfully? Is, are they using tools like uh, predictive analysis or uh, data analytics? What is it that they're doing actually uh, that uh, is making them get there successfully? What do you think? Very simple answer, if I give one word, they are continuously innovating. Necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. So talking of Flipkart, I think also Mintra is one example where they have actually used uh, uh, consumer behavior uh, to their unique advantage of creating innovative products and uh, creating a unique customer experience. I guess analytics has, that's exactly what I said. Now we have data, every moment I pick my phone, I create enough data, right? And a lot of people know about the data. Now technology available to analyze. Today, if I open a particular mail, then I get five related mail next day. If I go to Amazon, looked at few products, I go to any other website, they suggest me related products around that. So I think analytics has gone to multiple levels. In fact, I was in IMB uh, last week, uh, their, their uh, startup cell, and we were evaluating one company who is doing AI-based hiring. So they want to look at the person's uh, uh, I guess the trace in social media, in the companies, in the LinkedIn, and they come back and predict whether this person will succeed in your organization or not. So uh, the analytics is going to change you know, the, the world in a different way. Probably soon there will also be analytics that can capture what's going on in our mind and uh, uh, determine predictive consumer behavior. Not too far, I would say. Right. I just want to add to that predictive analytics. Basically, I think people are going on overdrive. Right now, you are actually naked on the internet. Google is hearing what you are not even actually interacting with Google. Amazon Echo, Amazon Alexa is actually listening to you in the house. They are, in fact, recently they said, whatever you are talking, somebody is actually in the back end evaluating it. So it's not you are talking to Alexa directly, you are actually talking to the world. There are more sabotages happening. I will tell you in my own case, when we are running computer-based exams, one big competitor has entered. They left a bomb in the computer labs where somebody clicks A or B or C, 
the machine hangs. There is absolutely no problem. The students think that the machine is hanging. So they raise a hand, somebody will come and say, nothing is wrong. So this is basically the sabotage is happening. So the people, competition, instead of, what I keep telling is, if you are doing some business, how do you show that you are bigger than me? You draw a bigger line next to me. Don't try to erase my line. That is my concept. But in this latest technology, people are actually trying to erase you also. So you have to be, technology is a double-edged sword. You have to use, if, if they are trying to do it, you have to counter it with your own technology. That is how we survive. Otherwise, we will be wiped out of the business. So we enter into the computer-based business where we are the first people to do this in 2001, 2002 and 2005. We started BitSat. 15 years we have been doing. And now there are about 20 competitors in the business. So we have to survive. We are surviving. So survival is the most important thing and you have to innovate. There is no choice. Um, I think we are speaking a lot about technology, a lot about innovation. Um, I think we are constantly becoming a prisoner of this entire thought process and as much as, as it is good. So for example, I remember back in 2000, early 2000, Vishwanathan Anand losing to IBM's Deep Blue computer uh, a game of chess. Uh, so obviously, and obviously that's been taken to a different level altogether. And uh, today, at an ongoing basis, the algorithm which writes the program itself can start uh, deciding on its own based on the constantly evolving patterns to write its own code and, and then it starts uh, the entire machine learning piece. So all of that is moving. Uh, I just want to, just because I'm with Dale Carnegie and um, I think I just want to focus a little more on the emotional side uh, that allows us to be able to be connected and at the same time which allows organizations to stay ahead of the race. So for one example that comes to my mind is Citibank. Uh, so back in 2002, Citibank was seeing a constant erosion at the top level as far as all the women employees were concerned. One of the things that then CHRO of Citibank did was to be able to ensure uh, that there are, there are no pro-rata, there are pro-rata ratings for all women employees who come back from the three M's, which is maternity, mobility and marriage. Uh, that ensured that there was, uh, there was zero percent attrition as at that level for Citibank and hence today we see the, this, um, that Citibank is one of the organizations which has constantly been able to keep women employees at par and at the same level as far as the uh, men employees are. At, um, there, are there are organizations like Shell which do not employ um, uh, taxi service providers like Ola and Uber, not even Hertz, not even some of the very reliable sources because their only priority is to be able to ensure that the woman employee when she gets off at work at 3 a.m. in the morning is extremely safe. They employ taxi services not heard of in India uh, just because no matter how much of money that they have to pay, it's just the emotional discretionary effort of the employee is what they want to capture because when your discretionary effort is captured, um, it doesn't matter whether you're a janitor or whether you're the CEO. Uh, you will completely own up that piece even if you are just trying to wipe the floor as if uh, you're making a difference to the entire organization. So, uh, once, uh, so I think technology innovation will continue to evolve. But what are we doing at the emotional aspect to keep the employee or the student engaged? I think that's where the real difference will be. Uh, technology is also flattening hierarchies in organizations now. So there are organizations moving away from having, in fact, uh, removing the management role. There are no managers and employees only working on their own. 
so it, it is being tested in a lot of companies. Uh, but at the same time, uh, flattening hierarchies is a reality. Now, what I really uh, want to uh, have been wondering over the last couple of weeks when we were planning this program was uh, I, uh, as a person, have access to so much information on the internet. I can read about this. And pe all the people sitting in this room also have access to the same information on the internet. They can also read about it. So how is the role of a manager diminishing uh, in an organization because access to information is same uh, and experience or number of years of experience is the only remains the only differentiator, the numerical. So is that going is that a threat to the manager uh, in future? So do we are we heading towards a managerless world? As long as you are evolving, um, there will be no threat uh, to the uh, to the I think and in this case could be an organization or an employee. Uh, the challenge comes is when I stop evolving and the point uh, that my friend here just made that it's const constant innovation, const constantly evolving. Uh, the, my only challenge and um, I think with, uh, with flattening hierarchies and uh, no management if I were to put that word uh, is, is the bit that it, uh, there has to be somebody to be able to guide somebody and that's where so I will even though I will hire somebody for the skill sets, uh, it is the experience at the end of the day which will, which of somebody having seen something which has presented itself will allow me to be able to be in a better position to manage the entire thing. Uh, I'm not sure how many of us here watch football and for whom football is something that they love, but um, this week that gone by when we had the Champions League semi-finals, uh, we primarily had experience winning over exuberance. Uh, so, for example, um, so I'll just quickly give a background. So, we had these semi-final where the Ajax Football Club, which was primarily composed of an average of about 23-year-olds, they were winning about 3-0 at halftime and you had the next 45 minutes. And um, they were playing against an English Premier League squad uh, team like Tottenham, which obviously had uh, youth and experience. They knew when to press the button and by the time uh, the match was over, uh, Tottenham had actually won. One of the things that allowed them to win was uh, at about 70-75 minutes and a football game is about 90 minutes. People tend to tire and that's when they were able to press on the gas and they, were really made the end, uh, they really made it count at that point of time. Similarly, um, um, we've had instances during the 2011 Cricket World Cup, how experience played an extremely crucial role for India to be able to lift the cup after so many years. So, um, in my mind, um, experience is important and you cannot do away with it. Otherwise, uh, uh, when, when, the, the, when the, the going gets tough, skills alone will not get you through it. So, execution-wise, it is possible, you are saying, the technology part but there should be somebody who can strategize and guide what needs to be done. Yes, yes So number of managers would reduce still? Uh, uh, I would say reduce and get augmented and that's what we have seen. I just want to add it here, actually. Every organization as well as the individuals, individuals, you should have four goals. What I always keep telling everyone, you should have two personal, two short-term goals and two long-term goals. In a personal, you know as an employee or if it's a company, company have two goals, one is short term, one is long term. Short term you have to achieve, whether good or bad you have to achieve and there has to be a long term goal. What is your vision? 
for a, any employee who is working he is working actually on a job given today so you are talking about flattening thing who is going thinking about the future the same employee who is working he is working in a court morning to night he will not be thinking about future products he will be busy developing today's projects that is where the managers come into the picture where you think about 10 years 15 years ahead what kind of products are required what is the solutions you are going to do what is the technologies are coming in how you are going to enhance the manpower like you said freelancers are your outsource uh, if you if you don't have manpower available with you you have to find somebody else the employees are not going to find another employee who will do the work the manager has to get another employee from outside so this is where the managers will always be there and when it comes to personal level i keep telling you have to have your personal short term goal you have to take care of your family the second one is after 10 years or 15 years what is that you are you are thinking of you plan something big even if you reach 80% you still fine as you keep reaching the goal you keep changing the goal post you keep target higher so this is what actually keeps you motivated to do much much bigger same thing is applicable for the company so basically two types of managers one somebody who strategizes for future and maybe support functions who help in resourcing and uh, i'll just want to make a point here sure. um, that today we am it's uh, some mentoring is also passe we are moving into the age of reverse mentoring uh, so the strategies in terms of uh, what will be useful for an organization is being done by the guy who is who's a green horn not by my director so the idea here of the manager is to be able to facilitate that thought process so that um, the rookie who's the mentor doesn't feel intimidated in the in that particular setting and the mentee who's a director with about 20 25 years of experience uh, he he understands that this information is vital for him to be able to perform at the peak of their powers continuing on the topic of human resources it's actually very interesting because uh, as they say manage your people and then the business is uh, managed um there are several challenges actually right uh, all, i mean it's a buca world we have digital disruptions going on on the one hand uh, as it was mentioning the structure is becoming flat and in some of the multinational organizations we also have this matrix culture uh, where we have cross functional reporting multiple people interacting with each other and on the other hand it's a competitive world so the growth expectations are not marginal they're exponential so under these circumstances i think the role of uh, both a ceo and an hr head becomes very challenging how do you think they can actually redefine their role in terms of uh, bringing about a congruence uh, even in the uka world Uh, by making sure that there is a level of stability and avoid any kind of knee jerk reactions or negative impacts uh, of uh, the buka situations do you think i i i i'd like to ask this question both to sudanshu and uh, uh, megdoot uh, obviously from a training perspective and to sudanshu from your own experiences i'm sure you have gone through these uh, along your journey Uh, how do you think a ceo or a hr can actually reimagine his role to make sure that uh, even in a vuca world uh, we optimize uh, growth and productivity and more than anything else the ultimate consumer experience i think you, you just answered in your question and that's what trying to say <laughs> focus on the customer <laughs> experience experience i think optimization is the right word right. 
when today we say flattened what is flattened flattened doesn't mean that there are no managers right. the, the structure got optimized and the reporting got optimized we cannot work anymore in silos because you have to deal with multiple divisions i think that is by nature you know i think the business evolves that way by itself now what is the role of ceo and hr i would say uh, what today's employees are much smarter kudos to you all you, you all are much smarter than us you already realize i, I deal with we, we hire about 150 people every week right so they are very smart they understand they they come with they don't come with expectation saying can i now become a manager in two years they are now focusing on am i adding value am i learning more so as a ceo and hr what we focus more on what platform or how do we enable them to learn so we do variety of things uh, we run toastmasters clubs we engage uh, institutes like uh, dale carnegie uh, we provide them online pl platforms to learn we conduct competitions so i think we focus more on how the employee gets an opportunity to learn or get some guidance to learn i think that is is paramount a person knowledgeable automatically gets recognized and moves on 